Hello and welcome to Alexandra Marshall Live. It's a show where we go in search of the world's culture warriors. And today we have ourselves a globe trekker straight out of the UK. She is one of the youngest conservative women in UK media with a large platform and far more influence than the left would like. She's a writer, political commentator, student, and now reality TV star. Sophie Corrigan, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? Good, good. And welcome to Australia. I mean, according to the press in the UK, this is ground zero for Antonio Guterres' global boiling apocalypse. You don't look particularly scorched or dead. No, and I'm ginger, so it's, it's quite an achievement. But I mean, I saw some sun. There has been no sun in Great Britain throughout our summer. It's been the most miserable summer probably on record. So um, I'm having actually quite a great time here, actually. Yeah, all those carbon taxes must be doing their job, you know, for uh, Rishi Sunak and uh, your lovely London mayor. But Sophie, you once described yourself as a kid who always has something to say. And if that's the case, you found yourself the perfect job. Now, most of our viewers will have seen you on GB News and even on some Australian TV networks. Through brute force and sheer talent, you've made it onto the very small bubble of conservative commentators. Is this what you love doing? Yeah, I mean, I also sort of work in, you know, in mainstream politics at home. So uh, I've worked for a member of parliament. I've, you know, stood for local council and things. So I'm not just a media commentator, but I mean, I'm an opinionated woman. I like to say what I feel. Um, I like offending the left and winding them up because it's great fun. And yeah, I just enjoy talking to people. I enjoy representing people that aren't traditionally represented in UK media or just in political media in general. Yeah, have a great time. Yeah, so when you say you work in politics, would you like to try and actually affect some real change? Because I know there's some frustration both here and in the UK that nothing seems to be changing. I mean, you've started petitions. Do you feel like you're getting anywhere with politics? Um, well, look, I mean, I'm still young at the moment. So for me, you know, I'm not going to enter Parliament now, let's be honest. I don't think, you know, early 20s, you should be in Parliament. But, you know, I'm not going to sit here and pretend I don't have any political ambitions. Of course I do. You know, the reason why I come onto these shows and give my opinion, you know, I think it would be wrong if eventually, when I was, you know, old enough and experienced enough to not go and put my money where my mouth is. Um, but I have quite a unique form of politics in the UK, which I think is why I've sort of grown in popularity. I really believe that, you know, we should have conservatism that puts working people at its core. I think conservatism is the right ideology and the, you know, the Conservative Party back at home is the right uh, party for working class people and I think it's really important to create a Britain where conservatism wins but working class people are the heart of that so that's why I'm against the likes of ULEZ because ultimately all of these things just punish the lives of working class people. Yeah well I was brought up to have a strong opinion that was the the soul of my generation I mean we were the the Spice Girls generation and very strong opinionated women and many of us were raised by the power women of the 60s but you're Gen Z you're a lot younger and having an opinion can be quite dangerous and difficult do you find it hard in your generation to be a conservative and an opinionated conservative woman? Um, yeah, of course. I mean, it's been challenging. I think I've had to make massive sacrifices. You know, I, I can't walk on university campuses at home. You know, every time when I went to Durham when I was at university, I couldn't leave my room without having somebody shout at me. I've had people try and attack me in the streets. I've had people want to throw acid at me. I think, you know, if you look at my Twitter, the comments are probably worse than any other conservative commentator in the UK. 
Uh, and certainly in Australia, I think, you know, I definitely get it worse than anybody else. And the reason why I get it worse than anybody else is because I'm the exact things that the left claim to be. I'm young, I'm female, I'm from a working class background, I went to one of the worst schools in the country, and I'm disabled, so therefore, you know, I tick all of their boxes and they, they don't like the fact that I don't know my place in a sense and that I, I speak what I want and I know what I want. Um, so, yeah, it's come at a huge personal cost for me personally, but, I mean, I do enjoy it. <laughs> well, you, I mean, you picked conservative commentary, which is a slog, if we're honest. I mean, it's a thankless task for which a reward is usually being shouted at, in your case, or being torn down by your peers. It's, it's not an ideal place for a young woman to start in the workforce. What's it that drives you to toss yourself into this witch-hunting, flame-throwing environment? I mean, I think I've always been into politics and I've always been conservative. I mean, the reason why I'm conservative is because I think ambition is at the core of everything we should do. It's been the core of everything in my life. You know, I come from a disadvantaged background. I have learning difficulties. You know, I was never the top of the class at school. I was never going to be top of the class at school. Um, I've had it pretty rough. So for me, it was, you know, the, the hand I was dealt with in life wasn't the best. And having ambition is extremely important because there was a time when nobody thought I was ever going to get any GCSEs, which like high school grades that we had. You know, people like me just go and work in Tesco's. And I didn't want that for myself. And I think ambition has been a really important part in my life of getting myself further than what most people would have expected me to do. And that's, again, one of the core parts of politics for me. So I think, yeah, just wanting to share that ambition, you know, fight for working people. You know, we watch the news and it's always, you know, these middle class lefties that are, you know, run, funded by the bank of mum and dad that like to go and glue themselves to a road on a Tuesday morning. Like, you know, for working people, our life isn't like that. So I think, you know, if you want more representation, if you want a voice, then you just have to go and be that voice. You know, if you want something done, do it yourself, pretty much. Yes, well, I see you found a kindred spirit in the late, great Maggie Thatcher, and everyone has to have a political hero. Now, as a working class girl, right to the soul, why did you pick Thatcher? Um, I think both uh, me and her have got a very similar view to what conservatism is. She very much agreed with me in the fact that conservatism is conservative and with working people at its core and the ambition and that giving people the freedom to, to make better of their lives is something that is very important to everyone. I think nowadays the working class, you know, Labour like to try and baby the working class. They like to try and make us feel like victims, but also make us feel in a way that we're chained to the state and that we can't do anything without them, which isn't the case at all. We absolutely can. And uh, also there's been this weird sort of shift where if you say, you know, I come from a working class background, but I want to make a better life for myself and for my children, it's almost seen to be a bad thing, which is just completely bonkers. Um, but that, that Margaret Thatcher was very much the same. I mean, we have enemies in the Conservative Party. I have enemies within the Conservative Party, just how she does. The sort of more elitist, aristocratic sort of Conservatives detested Margaret Thatcher in the same way that more of the wealthier sort of Conservatives, the ones that are very sort of liberal, they believe in all of the net zero nonsense and they're not really Conservatives. They really should just be the British version of the Lib Dems. Um, they detest me as well. So again, it's a very similar thing. Well, I mean, Maggie Thatcher is nobody's victim, that's for sure. But you put out a tweet recently that read, and I'm going to quote it for our viewers here. 
Isn't it weird that people paint me as right-wing because I advocate for the rights of women, people like myself with learning difficulties and the working class, and it's always privileged left-wingers that abuse me. I accept that there's no working class young women in the media. I accept the fact that I am from a disadvantaged background. That's why the left hate me much more than any other commentator. They believe someone like myself should know their place. Sophie, those are fighting words. Are you getting a little tired of the privileged left gatekeeping the voice of the working class? Yeah, I, I think so, and it just really annoys me. I think that's the one thing that, you know, the, the guys called Just Stop Oil, um, when they glue themselves to the road, that's why they really aggravate me, because these are some of the most privileged human beings ever that are funded by the bank of mum and dad, that go to university, that have never had to earn a living, that come to communities like mine in Furrock. And, you know, they're not from Furrock, so, you know, unless they've rowed down the River Thames, they've used oil to get there. And they reap havoc on working-class towns like mine, and they show absolutely no regard for people here. I, I, I regard them as bullies, basically. I think that's what they're doing. And I just think it's a grim, it's a grim thing having, work, having rich, wealthy people advocate for policies that ultimately make the lives of working-class people harder. And that's all of the green stuff. I'm very anti-green because I feel like it's very anti-working-class. But it's always coming from these posh, entitled lefties that really, to be honest, the reason why the left, a lot of these left-wingers are really pro-green, is because all of them hate themselves. They're all self-hating, embarrassed rich, as I call them. They're all sort of embarrassed by their so-called privilege. So what they think is that by advocating for policies that make the lives of the poor harder because they believe it will save the planet, it makes them feel like good people. That's what they want to do. All Net Zero is there for is to make the rich people feel good about themselves at the expense of the living standards and freedoms of the poor. That's very well said, Sophie, and so true. I mean, you can see it when they hold up the little iPhones and start taking photographs of themselves, sticking themselves to pavements. It's not exactly genuine environmentalism as we know it. But on the topic of politics, you had an unfortunate experience with conservative politics in the UK a little while ago, but you once described yourself as the most notable young conservative female in the country. Was it jealousy that brought you down? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm still the most notable female. <laughs> So okay, put you but down on that particular circumstance. I, I think I'll rephrase that one for you. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, again, like I said, very in a similar way to Margaret Thatcher, is there's still the very elitist element of the Conservative Party in the UK. And it, and it has that twinge to it in, in politics. And the fact of the matter is they didn't like the fact that a woman like myself who had come from nowhere, who is very working class, and I openly advocate for conservatism with working people at its core, um, they didn't like the fact that I was there and that I was, you know, taking the spotlight. So, yeah, I mean, it's pure jealousy. I think a lot of uh, the stigma towards me from the conservative side of things just comes from jealousy and obviously the left hate me because I'm everything they claim to be. Yes, well, conservative parties in this country keep saying that they want gender dis uh, diversity, so they use quotas to appoint women, you know, to look good on election posters. But when a woman appears in the party through the process of an election with her own ambition and merit, the party doesn't like it very much. And we've watched several female politicians hounded by their leaders for the crime of supporting women's rights. Does the Conservative movement as a whole, both here and in the UK, have a future if they keep pushing women like yourself away? 
Um, well, I, I think they do. I really think they do. Um, I think the conservative side of things, especially in the UK in terms of, you know, the women's rights kind of things, are really great. I personally think that in terms of the Labour movement, um, the Labour, Labour hate women. Like, let's, let's make no mistakes, Labour hate women, especially at home. Um, and they use women as tokens. They use us just as a tick box. They don't value us as human beings. Um, which is why I'm against the quotas. But I do think, in general, the problem with UK politics is, is still very much that private school boys club. And it's always going to be. It's just the way it's structured. So I think it just takes a woman with balls to crack it. And I'm not under any illusion that I'm going to have an easy time doing it. Yes, another Thatcher with uh, balls larger than all of her opponents. But you've always been concerned, not so much with gender diversity in politics, but this class diversity and having the working class there. And in one of your tweets, you noted that, and I quote, 25 to 30 year olds mostly go to Oxbridge and then work in think tanks or as parliamentary staffers. And that even Labor, who claim to represent the interests of the poor and the working class, are mostly educated in the private school systems. So their politics is somewhat of an act, a political slogan. Sophie, does any political party speak for the working class today and their interests, or is there anywhere for the working class to even cast their vote? No, I don't think any political party really, really speaks to the working class, which is why I'm under no, make no mistake, I have political ambitions and eventually as soon as I'm old enough I will create a position where there is a party that is conservative but puts working people at its core. That's exactly what I want to do, it's what I want to set out to do. I don't think we have that in UK politics at the moment. And, you know, look, there was one time, there was one really significant time in the UK's history where the working class had the opportunity to vote, and that was Brexit. And we can see the aftermath of Brexit. There's a reason why we still haven't accepted the Brexit referendum result. There's a reason why people still keep trying to overturn it. And the fact of the matter is, with Brexit, it was the working class versus the establishment and the working class won. And that is why they still haven't accepted the result, because they cannot accept that when you give working people the opportunity uh, to vote, they're not going to vote for your weird socialist ideals. Right? When you give people, and that's something that Margaret Thatcher always you know, expressed, when you give people the right to vote, and you give people the right to choose, they're most likely not going to choose socialism. And especially working people, and that's pretty much what we saw with Brexit. The working people rose up against the establishment and they won. And ever since then, all we've had is, oh, they didn't know what they were voting for, they were too stupid, we should never have given them the opportunity to vote. You know, Brexit's rubbish, consistent Brexit bashing ever since then, because they're angry at the fact that when you gave working people a voice, they didn't do what you told them to do. Well, we were actually all cheering you guys along with the Brexit over here in Australia, watching the whole countdown live. It was a great moment in history. And uh, while I wouldn't call myself working class, I've always been more of a peasant since the Welsh kings of our family were thrashed by the English. You know, too bad, so sad. I'll file my claim for reparations after the show. But speaking of peasants and rulers, you recently became a reality TV star on a program called Rise and Fall. Now, according to Wikipedia, the source of absolute 100% truth, Rise and Fall is a reality TV show and social experiment with 16 contestants divided between rulers living in a penthouse and grafters sent down to the basement. Now, Sophie, what was it like to spend six weeks living as a lab rat for entertainment? 
you know, it was it was great fun. It was the best thing I've ever done. Um, I was a grafter, once a grafter, always a grafter. I was the grafter of the show because I spent the longest time as a grafter, no surprise there, um, doing all of the workshops. But no, it was it was excellent fun. The reason why I wanted to do the show is because, you know, we've got the likes of Love Island in, in the UK. I don't know if they have that in Australia, but um, in the UK we have like shows like Love Island and, you know, Real Housewives and all of this stuff. And they all just get one type of woman who are, you know, think Liverpool is a country and, you know, a brain dead. And it's just all about how they look. And I didn't like how women were being portrayed in the media. I don't like how women my age are being portrayed in the media. So I went and did this show to show that, no, there are different types of women out there. You shouldn't be afraid to be outspoken. You shouldn't be embarrassed to be smart. You shouldn't, you know, not everything is about the way you look. Um, and try and sort of break down those stereotypes. But I had an um, absolute blast doing it. Did you actually make it to the penthouse or did you spend all your time down in the basement? No, I made it to, I made it to the penthouse, luckily. So my, my strategy was, was because in the penthouse you could get eliminated from the game, whereas you couldn't in the basement. So I just, like coasted in the basement until like the very last moment um so that was my strategy is to last as long as i physically could in the basement and until um right near the end of the game so what did they make you do down there um so we had to do work shifts so all of these work shifts were sort of named after like normal industries so the first one we were electricians so we had to like hold like a bar above our head for like a long period of time whilst getting electrocuted and like you couldn't like let it go otherwise you'd fail um, the second week we ate dog food um, and the worst one was it was like this green vegetarian cat food and we were literally vomiting, it was really funny. Um, we had to be like baggage handlers, so like run on a treadmill that was going backwards, like we were wait, worked in the waste disposal unit. One of them we had to like lay in like this freezing cold ice bath for like five minutes and like try and survive. So yeah, it was, it was pretty brutal. Um, so in the basement there was no food at all, it was just we got like flour and yeast and we had to make our own bread and that was it, that's all we ate, other than dog food of course. And um, there was like no hot water, so like the showers were obviously like freezing cold and they used to sort of play with the temperatures to like mess you up a little bit and we had no concept of what the time was. Yeah, well, that no time thing would be pretty tricky, I'd imagine. Yeah, I think that was probably the hardest thing about all of it. Like, a lot of people thought like the food and all that would be hard. That was easy. It was you'd wake up and you'd not know what day it is and you'd not know what time it was. It was it was it was just bizarre. Gosh, well, I'm guessing the secret of the penthouse, if you're lucky enough to be in the penthouse, is keeping the most productive workers in the basement adding to the prize money pool without allowing them enough free time or energy to develop the ambition to rise in popularity where they might reach the penthouse and threaten their leader. But I've heard you say that the show cast eerie parallels with real life, including its outcomes and ultimate winner. What were some of these parallels and do you look at society differently now that you've seen the show? Um, I think some of these parallels were, for example, so obviously, you know, all of the women that went up to the penthouse first were the first ones out. So sort of eventually by the end of the show, the original of the original women that went into the game, because they kept on bringing more and more people in the game because you needed people in now, um, of the original ones that started, so I obviously started it, um, there was only two women left. And, um, like, the rest of them, the, the women were, like, the first ones to go. Like, society just doesn't like powerful women. Um, so that's kind of what I found. Um, the ones in the show that basically did nothing, said nothing and just coasted, ended up getting into the final. Um, because anyone that was outspoken enough to, to say what's right or say their two-piece was chopped off pretty quickly. Um, 
And obviously the winner was an aristocrat, funnily enough. So he comes from an aristocratic family. He comes from one of Britain's oldest aristocratic families. So it's just kind of found it kind of funny that he won. Yeah, um, well, that's uh, it's interesting that an aristocrat run. But did any working class people get close? Um, yeah, I mean, we had sort of the final, but we kind of knew he was going to win. But I just found it weird that a lot of like the women and the outspoken women were like the first ones to go. And the ones that kind of coasted and just didn't upset anyone, just didn't really contribute, were the ones that ended up getting to the end. Because I feel like, you know, in society, if you're if you're really outspoken and, you, you know, you do what's right, often there's consequences to it because, you know, you upset people that you probably shouldn't upset. Yeah, well, the men probably pegged the uh, the strong women as a threat early on and got rid of them pretty quick, smart. But it's also, uh, the reality TV audience is a different type of audience than political commentary. Did you find it difficult or beneficial inviting a new group of strangers into your sphere? After all, I mean, reality TV show is more intimate than a new show. Yeah, and I mean, I really enjoyed it because people sort of got to know me more as a person because when I come on a news show, all I'm there to do is talk about the news. So most people don't really know much about my own life and, and my journey and where I've come from. So that was really nice, but I mean, there was no surprise that all of the headlines were about me and that most of them consisted of viewers are boycotting the show because of a controversial contestant. I've got that one on my wall. It's from the Daily Mirror. I, I printed it off and put it on my wall at home because I'm proud of it. Um, but yeah, so a lot of the press obviously was going to be about me and um, they weren't too happy that a conservative was on mainstream television. Um, and like somebody like threw water over me and stuff on the show and all of these left wingers were like cheering them on because they wanted to do the same to me. So they were very happy about that. So uh, someone actually attacks me on the show. Um, wow. And like physically like pushes me and throws water over me. And then a lot of these lefties were like, yay, like we've always wanted to do that. So that was kind of... Yeah, the undercurrent of violence from the left is a bit of a concern because it's not just words. They do seem to have a little bit of real intent there. But, I mean, the audience of online social media com like comments that you get is often cited as one of the trickiest things to deal with. And I've been doing this since social media was born, and even I have to tune out occasionally from the death threats, the rape threats, and the general verbal abuse that you get. But you're very young, and it's a lot to deal with. You said once that you put up a lovely photo of your family and the responses you got were all about your looks abusing your appearance and it's mostly coming from angry men. Is this the new dark ages of left-wing misogyny? Yeah, and that's what I said. I've always maintained the view that I think the left are deeply, deeply misogynistic. Um, all of the comments about me, none of it's ever about my politics. It's always about the way I look or how people just want to kill me or how they just want to like throw acid over me or whatever. Um, but... I've always said that the left are the exact thing that they accuse us of, the exact thing that they accuse the right wing of. They, you know, they say we're the nasty party and you know, we're the bad ones and they've all got be kind in their bio. Um, and they're literally the worst human beings ever, like imaginable. Like they're some of the most vile human beings because they feel like what they're doing is good. They feel like by abusing a horrible right winger, they're doing something good for society. Whereas they're just being the exact same thing they try and accuse me of. Um, and, you know, what annoys me is if uh, a male commentator goes to the gym and posts a shirtless photo of themselves working out, it's all congratulations, how great they look, well done, bro, for working out. If you go to the beach and post a photo of yourself in a bikini, you've basically joined OnlyFans or you're some kind of paid whore. I mean, that is the standard that women have to put up with. Yeah, I mean, I literally went to the beach and as most, you know, 20 year olds do, it was nice and sunny. I wore a little bikini and I just put it on my Twitter. I didn't really think anything of it. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, and that come that comment about the OnlyFans come from a, a, a quite significant figure in the UK media um, as well. So it wasn't just you know trolls online. But again, there's there's such a you know a standard. And I think there's the, one of the real reasons why I don't think we have good politicians globally is because we don't let politicians be real people. You know, why can't, just because I, I speak in political commentary, why can't I go to a restaurant with my family? Why can't I go to the beach? Why can't I live a normal life? You know, how we're never going to get relatable people in the media or in politics. You know, and that's what we say quite a lot at home is, you know, they just, they don't live like us. They're not like normal people. They're just not like us. And I said, well, the reason why is because you don't let them be like us. We never, we, you know, we get the standard of politicians we deserve globally because we sit there and we abuse them. We don't let them have a good life. You know, we invade their privacy. So we're going to get bad people. We're going to get people with bad intentions. We're going to get people who, who are doing it for reasons other than, you know, serving the country and being good. Because why on earth would anyone want to put themselves through that? Why it, would they want to do that? If I remember correctly, it was the Democrats who were actively encouraging the general public to ambush and berate uh, Republican politicians when they were at dinner with their families. And that became quite a problem because it was genuinely dangerous for these politicians. But this sort of behaviour has driven some conservative women in Australia, not myself, but to support online censorship. Now, would you rather live with the abuse and preserve free speech or invite the government to regulate speech online? I mean, I would rather, you know, live with the abuse and, uh, than have regulations on free speech. You know, at the end of the day, it's about a cultural thing. You know, so I don't think you can censor away mean things towards politicians. It's just a cultural thing. And I think censorship is, is dangerous, you know. Um, you know, I respect anyone's right to go and call me a whore or whatever. Um, you know, if I block you, I block you. But I, I think there has to be a cultural shift in the way that we view politicians and we, and we view people in politics and that they're not people that we should just openly be able to abuse. But at the same time, there's no reason to, to want to increase censorship. I think a lot of these things are trying to, you know, fuel give people excuses to, to, to increase censorship or reduce freedoms, and I don't think we should be doing that. I'd rather, I'd honestly rather just live with it. That's incredibly brave and very well said, Sophie. Look, as we come to the uh, end of our interview here, some people are saying that the political abuse and indeed the whole political conversation is getting more energetic, desperate and aggressive. But I do wonder, Perhaps you and I were born in a political lull and what we are seeing instead is a return to pre-war politics as we wrestle with the big ideas such as socialism. What do you think? Is this a return to form or is this something new? Um, well, I think in the UK it's quite something new. I think a lot of the... The, the real hatred and the real division, it never used to be that way. Um, you know, you used to be able to go to, go to dinner with a Labour MP and it'll all be fine. Whereas now it's like, you know, you can't be seen with each other. Otherwise, you know, you're, you know, encouraging the enemy or whatever. Um, and that's, that's happened since Brexit. I think Brexit has been a real change in the UK in the way that we view political 
relations and the fact that you know you you can't have conversations with people and that you can't be seen with people that you don't agree with and that you have to publicly shame them and publicly disassociate yourself with people that you don't agree with that has only really came in since brexit because that was just such a divisive referendum and the people on the remain side were the ones that were saying you know people leave you know they're racist they're xenophobic they're bigots and that all sort of stemmed from Brexit. And I think it's kind of continued, which is why it's sort of quite normal for me, because I was obviously really young at the time of the Brexit referendum. I would have been, what, maybe 14. Um, so I was still sort of early stages of high school. So I've, that's the politics I've grown up with. That's the politics my generation have grown up with in the UK, which I think is why my generation of you know of people in terms of discussing politics are the most toxic out of any generation in the UK because we grew up in that thinking that's what politics is this is what is acceptable you know that was our role models so it's no surprise that the left-wingers see the remainers and see how they treated leavers and see how they treated working-class people and have grown on that and I think that's what politics is that's how you should conduct yourself that's what we need to do because that's what we grew up with which is different to a lot of the older generations that are still able to sort of have those conversations and respect each other in a way you know unfortunately for us we grew up in a very divisive time of politics which is why my generation are fueling an even more divisive um, type of politics and I only think it's going to get worse from here. Well, it doesn't help that it's saturated in your schools. I mean, when we went to school, we had a limited amount of politics. We had a little bit of that feel-good, save the planet, be a, a global citizen thing, but it was very minimal. But now everything about your schooling is political, and I don't think that's healthy for children either. But, Sophie, you've been such a trooper for the conservative cause. Will you carry on, or did you have your heart set on becoming a reality TV star? Oh, God, I would never be a reality TV star. Um, I only did it because, let's be honest, one of the reasons I did it is because I grew up in lockdown. I, I turned 18, 19 in lockdown. I lost those sort of years of your life, like, where you make the best memories. So I thought... I may as well go do something that I'm never, ever going to forget. I don't want to go into reality TV. I think they are some of the most insufferable, some of the most worst human beings ever. Most of them are like massive attention seekers. I just can't deal with it. Um, no, my, I have great political ambitions. Eventually, I want to create a, a UK that is conservative, that is strong, and that puts working people at its core. And I know exactly what I want to do. And hopefully more people, you know, as I get older, will be able to present my view of conservatism to the world and have people join me in that. Oh, well, thank you so much, Sophie, for joining us here and best of luck in your studies while you're here in Australia. Thank you. And that's all we have time for. Catch you next week.